Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Welcome back to another episode of Performance Matters with the five moments of need. And again, we are excited and privileged to be joined by Dr. Gafferson, again, one of our co-hosts for the series. Con, welcome back. Thank you, Bob. It's good to be back. <laughs> All right. This is, gonna, this is actually one of my favorite topics because I have to tell you, in my work as a designer, my learnings of this relative, obviously five moments is up there, but in what I think it has brought to my work and I think the industry is what we're going to talk about today. And that is this issue of the benefit of what we're calling safe failure. Yeah. Something that for years in yeah. instruction we've avoided, frankly. Oh, right? yeah. You know, in my early years of instructional design, I did everything that I could to minimize failure. Well, you know, I, I remember as an instructor in the front of the room, knowing those points of failure in yeah. what I was teaching and saying these words, no, 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 wait, 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 before you go any further, I know you want to, I know you want to do the following thing or not, and I'm like, oh, but that's going to be a problem. That's going to cause, so let me save you from that. Yeah. Right. This whole thing. But really the reality con is we learn through it. It's the remarkable thing. So help us. What do yeah. we mean by, and I love this, not just failure, but what do we mean by safe failure? Well, say failure. Today, my attitude is so very different. I've come to understand that failure is a powerful learning experience as long as the consequences of failure aren't too great. And what I mean by consequences is if it's going to harm in an irreparable or a significant way the learner or others or the organization, then it's not safe. But if I can learn from it and recover quickly, readily, in a way that will allow me to learn, that's safe failure. And we've, of course, developed a rubric that we make available to be much more precise in defining what's safe and what's not safe. But if you think about the ability to recover quickly without significant cost or harm to others, that would be safe failure. And doesn't harm come in many shapes oh, yeah. and colors, right? When, yeah. when people think of harm, obviously there's the obvious, right? I get physically hurt. Sure. But there's other shades of failure, right? There's other shades of sure, feeling if it harm. Sure, dimin- if it diminishes a person, if other people feel diminished or, or offended or other things, that's harmful. My confidence right? if, repu- if reputation is harmed. That's, comp- I, 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 let, yeah. I lose my faith and confidence yeah. in myself yeah. to perform. Yeah. Those are significant yeah. consequences of failure. Speaking of confidence, though, if a failure situation is handled right, you can actually increase confidence. We'll talk more Let's about that. Let's get to that. Okay, good. So perfect. So I think, I think it's important that we, we understand the, those shades of harm, and we're going to get to that. So what are the benefits, then, of safe failure? Many years ago, I was doing some work with Cisco Systems, and I was impressed by an insight from their CEO, John Chambers. When he would interview potential leaders for the company, he would rightly ask them to share the results and walk through the powerful, wonderful successes that they've had. But then his next question always was in those interviews, tell me about your failures. And Chambers looked for candidates who had made mistakes, but 
from those mistakes had actually figured out how to learn from them. That was so important to him. He, he believed that we're a product of the challenges that we face in life. And how we handle those challenges probably has more to do with what we accomplish than our successes. Mm. And that's, to me, that, that was a profound really insight profound, yeah. to character and to competence building. Brain science. Oh, does, yeah. Does it support this at all? What, oh, yeah. What are the, what's the research? Well, the research is that, one, that when we experience a failure event, it triggers a chemical reaction in our brains that encodes that experience in a significant way. Now, the question is, does it become a safe and beneficial or harmful? And that has to do with two things, the consequences, but also our recovery. Hmm. And the speed of recovery becomes very important. And if we can recover quickly, then we know from that research that it actually builds self-efficacy or self-confidence. So this is where performance support is so absolutely brilliant because two clicks, 10 seconds, we can get to what we need to to help us recover if we've designed that performance support properly to recover, to solve, to resolve, Mm. to get to where we need to get to. And so we know from research that failure is a powerful learning moment as long as it's treated properly and people can recover. You know, one thing I've learned from you is the importance of encoders. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't get that. I honestly didn't get that. We, we have the WIFM, the what's in it for me. We use metaphors and examples. Those are a form of helping learners encode. But I didn't understand the importance of what encoding really meant and how badly in many cases because of my non-five moments of need design, my misunderstanding of work context and workflow, criticality, I was mapping through Addy, God bless Addy, poor encoders, which fundamentally in a class starts with something as simple as the outline for your day, how you sequence your content. Yeah. And that's an encoder. Yep. So failure experience can be a remarkable encoder because of the emotional nature of it. and It sears it into the, it the memory. Does. I mean, if, if anyone listening to this, uh, to our discussion, if you'll just think back on a failure experience that you've had, you can get to those experiences. And if they're triggered properly in your instruction then goodness gracious, uh, it's a remarkable learning experience. And if you're listening, you probably survived. Yeah. Right? So (laughs) they can be remarkable. So here's the thing, though, Con. I would say that historically, L&D is taught to avoid failure. We are taught. It's it's seen as an adverse thing, not a positive thing. Not only that, but we've been blessed with enough distance between what our people experience in learning and what happens in the real world. Correct. That when they do fail, we're far enough away from it that we can just say, oh, well, you know, that's not my fault. Yeah. It's other extenuating circumstances, their manager, other things, when in reality, a lot of failure happens that doesn't need to happen. But because of how we've designed our training and so forth, it does happen. But it's hidden. And the support, yeah. right in the support. Yeah. I, I, this has been a, a, one of the most powerful takeaways for me is the degree to which I had never designed, not just for failure in my classroom or in my events, but the protection of that. I love your word, the safe recovery of that. My recovery in my mind was if they memorized it. So we do a practice. If they fail, I'm like, okay, look, here's the steps you have to learn. So let's do it again, and we did it again and again until they internalized those steps. So I'm thinking, okay, look, I've taught them how to recover 
because I've given them. But this, that's all I gave them was their gift of recall, which we all know when you get to the workflow breaks down. Yeah. So I didn't really give them that that safety net. Yeah. So what Molly Petroff is doing at St. Vincent is she's training people in their hospital environments of where to go if things go wrong. Here's where you go. Here's how you get to it so that you can quickly solve it. And so they're walking with greater confidence. And if something happens, they've got the ability to recover. Okay, so let's get to this next thing. So obviously then Molly has found a way to distinguish safe from not. Now, I'm a designer. This is prickly to me, this whole safe conversation. So my instinct and everyone listening is going to go, okay, look, if I'm going to wander into these waters and I want to subjectively make that opinion, I want to objectively make that decision because it's too dangerous. It's too much at risk to not do it otherwise. Absolutely. How do we do that? Absolutely. So what's vital here is that we have a systematic approach to being able to identify what is safe and what isn't safe. I stumbled into this again years ago, but it was transformational for me. I was on a trip in London. I was at Trafalgar Square. Just off of the square, there was this bookstore. I walked in, and I found these little books. They were under 100 pages, and it was Learn in a Weekend. Learn how to golf in a weekend. Learn how to play chess in a weekend. Learn how to sail. Learn how to ride a horse. My favorite was, of course, learn how to scuba dive. I've always wanted to learn that. So (laughs) I bought all 14. I think there were 14 books. I bought them all. On the flight back, I was uh, on the plane. I thought, I'm going to learn to scuba dive. So I pulled out this learn to scuba dive in a weekend, opened it up randomly, And I just saw this picture of the scuba diver, and I thought it was really wonderful. And then somehow there was this word that jumped off the page called borrow trauma. And I'm going, borrow trauma, trauma. Sounds bad. Yeah, so (laughs) uh, what, what does that mean? So I read the definition, and I couldn't figure that out, but it scared me even more. And then I saw in parentheses, burst lungs, and I thought, oh, maybe I'm not going to learn this on my own in a weekend. And at that moment... I came to understand something that changed my whole instructional design career. Up until that point, I had prioritized learning based upon complexity and based upon frequency. But I never stopped to ask the question, well, what about the consequences of failure? And so over a period of time, we built a rubric to just kind of be able to assess on a scale of one to seven the consequences of failure, a seven being catastrophic, where a one would be insignificant to minimal. And from organization to organization, we alter the descriptors under that. But a scale that describes catastrophic, what is that versus minimal? And then in the middle, what's in the middle? And you build that rubric. We've got several, as you know, iterations of that or versions of that for healthcare, for government, and for others. But that then becomes a tool that we use in the analysis phase of our methodology to look at all of the job tasks that we've identified and to look at the supporting knowledge around that as we design for the moment of apply. And from there, we can figure out what we need to do. If it's significant to catastrophic, then we're going to bring that in the classroom. But if it's not, whether you can have safe failure, then we can push that into the workflow, those skills into the workflow where people can learn as they do their job. So let's clarify one pronoun here, Ken. You keep using we. 
we decide, we determine. Let's just talk about we for just a minute. <laughs> because this is another profound thing, oh, yeah. right? This is Absolutely. a profound thing. SMEs. Yeah. God bless yeah. the acronym, yeah. right? Subject matter experts, we bring them in a room. Here was my battle till the, the gift of this rubric. What's most important? Yeah. Good luck with that one, right? Yeah. And you're in that room, and I, you all can, you know, I'm sure you can all recite this, however you're listening out there. But what does every SME think everything is? Important. It's all important. So, it, so it, and it is important. It clearly. But what does this help you do? This helps me work with SMEs and business, particularly business matter experts who BMEs. understand the business BMEs, who then use this scale to rate it. The instructional designer doesn't do that. Training doesn't do that. The the actual people who are on the ground who own the work processes do that. And this is an important distinction. Yeah, yeah. The we is not yeah. us anymore. Yeah, because what happened once is we identified that scope of training that we needed to do. We scoped out the time, and it was a day. We went to our key stakeholder, and she said, uh, uh, you got to have a day. I said, okay, okay. Well, your people rated all of these things that we have here as uh, five, six, or seven on this scale of critical impact of failure. So uh, five is significant. So we could get rid of about a third of these, half of these, but which ones you choose because you need to determine which ones you want to take a chance of failure. Well, she'd never seen it through that. And she goes, oh, you got a day. You know, because we weren't, I, I couldn't have sold that with, oh, these are complex or these are frequent. But the fact that the consequences to the business and to the lives of people was significant to catastrophic, she wasn't willing to take the chance. So that's what that brings. This is know. the secret sauce yeah, of is. the training reduced by half. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. yeah, because where we identify that you can fail safely that's when you have an EPSS, a digital coach, in the workplace guiding people. When it's time to do that task, two clicks, 10 seconds, I can get to it. If I make a mistake, I can learn from it. I've got everything that I need. So I can learn that in the workflow as I do my job. Yeah. So let's, let's be specific here. So we're not skipping things, Con. No. Right? This is what you hear we a lot. We learn everything. Everything is still taught. I like to say, but where it's best learned. Yeah. How's so that? So learn in a weekend, I can learn on the job. Not in the weekend, but on the job. As I do my job, I'm learning. It's still being learned. It's still being watched over. It is still being treated instructionally, just in the workflow, not in the classroom. So theoretically, everything about scuba diving was probably covered in that book. Yeah. But that's not the point. Everything we want to teach about CRM is taught in the class. Everything we want to do about leadership can be covered in five days. The point here is not coverage. It's where things are most appropriately and best learned. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And the workflow is a great place to be learning. Right? I'd argue it's the best place. It is. If it is. There's not a better environment as long as I can fail safely. Brilliant. Brilliant, as always, Con. Great session. Much more to come. Thank you, friend. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and we'll subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.